0: This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. So, since we are in the Beatitudes, open up in your Bibles to the book of the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5. We launched out from... Matthew 5 and 2. That's the scripture that caught my attention and captivated me. And it reads, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying. Again, to me it is is so descriptive. It is so illustrative in how it's written. And so from this we launched out and I told you that we were going to talk about four things. Who is he? Who is them? What does he teach? And then we can enter into the Sermon on the Mount. Now the question about who is he, we found out that Matthew sets it up for us. Matthew goes on a trail and he builds up into Matthew uh, chapter 5 and he tells us from the get-go, this is the son of David. This is the son of Abraham. This is the promised son of David. This is the promised son of Abraham. That's very important because many can say that they may fall from the line of David at the same time they can say they can fall from the line of Abraham but here's the thing about who he is he's greater than David (laughs) he is greater than Abraham that boggles the mind Uh, Jesus asked a group of people well whose son is he they said David and then Jesus said "Well, how does David call him Lord it's a wonderful it's a marvelous thing Because this son is greater than David. And so that Matthew wants to make sure that we understand that. So Matthew goes on and points out he was begat of Mary, not of Joseph. See, while many people can say that they come from the line of Abraham coming from the line of David, can you say you're the seed of the woman who would bruise the head of that serpent? So that's who he is. And so Matthew wants us to make sure that we see that he is king. The throne belongs to him. That's who he is. And as we enter into this, a lot of people might say, well, yeah, we know who Jesus is. No, Matthew is pointing is something out to us. Matthew wants us to hear from a particular perspective. He is king. And then we said, now who is them? Now then we found out, is, for lack of a better term, is great multitudes who follow him. Uh, Made up of quite a diverse group of people. Uh, No doubt there are some who are sincere and some who are not sincere. No doubt it's dominated by those who are sincere. And when you look at it, what I like about this is that this group of people really is made up of, we'll call them, everyday people. These aren't the rich and the famous. You're not saying that they're not in the crowd, but we're talking about those who are dominating the multitude. These are people who were not um, well-known, not people of renown, not popular, not in this world. The world's not looking at them and saying that they have something that the world wants. These are everyday People. They're not on the cover of GQ. They're not gracing the cover of Ebony. They're not at the forefront or the cover of Cosmopolitan. These are everyday people. And many of them seem to be, in the world's estimation, in lack. But they're following. Oh, what a blessing that is. They're following. And... and, as we get into the Beatitudes, to me, this is, this is what captures me about the Beatitudes is who is hearing and what he's saying to them. And no doubt, this really isn't dominated by a bunch of religious leaders either. Just everyday people. Just like you and me. And then, the question was, what does he teach? And I told you what he teaches, and again, we get this Just like we got who he is, Matthew sets it up for us. Who is them? Matthew sets it up for us. What does he teach? Matthew sets it up for us. He teaches the kingdom of heaven. Now again, I will just share this with you. I believe I made mention of the kingdom of heaven is a very interesting term because it's unique to the book of Matthew. Now, no doubt, and I mentioned to you before, that there are parallel verses you can find in the other Gospels where it, instead of Kingdom of Heaven uses the Kingdom of God. But Matthew uses both Kingdom of Heaven and Kingdom of God. I believe there's a reason for it. Uh, I have an idea what it might be but I can't teach that because I'm not sure of it. But So we, we stay with that terminology. We'll, we'll stay with the Kingdom of Heaven as Matthew calls it here. But I, I told you the Kingdom of Heaven is made up of two ages. The current age and the age to come. And the current age is made up of when man turns his heart to the living God. You can do that now. You don't have to wait. (laughs) Turn your heart to him now. That's the current age. And whether it's submitting to the Lordship of Christ, as we do now in the age of the church, or whether before the church was instituted, men were still turning their hearts over to the living God. But whether it's then or now, it always results in God's grace. I told you, when I, I remember when I mentioned that, don't forget that, because that's going to play an important role. It always results in God's grace. Remember, Moses says, if I have found grace in your sight. God looked upon man and saw the wickedness of man and their thoughts were on evil continually. But Noah found grace. See, when you turn your heart over to God, there's grace. It's always the result. So, in this current age, by faith, God reigns in the heart of man in the midst of a sinful world. That's the current age of this kingdom, right? But there's a future age. There's a kingdom to come. And I want to remind you, you must allow God to reign in your heart all the way until the end. And then, it won't be by faith... (laughs) You'll be there. It'll be reality for you. Not something you're looking forward to. You will be there. That's when the government is on his shoulder. Oh, what an amazing thing to me. He is the king. And he's, when we see the Beatitudes, he's dealing with the age to come. And I keep mentioning this because it does boggle my mind that this king didn't come demanding that you bow down before him. He came laying down his life for you. That boggles my mind. See, he is greater. There is no greater love that a man had than that he laid down his life for a friend. But this was no just me. The throne is His. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful King. But people missed it. They were looking for the coming age to come right away. And they missed, but first He had to lay down His life. Otherwise, none of us could look forward to that time to come. So now... Then we understand he is the king. These are everyday people he's talking about that follow him. And he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And so now as we look at the Beatitudes, verse 2 and verse 3, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven of heaven now remember the layout of the beatitudes blessed okay it starts out with blessed now remember we said this about the beatitudes it is descriptive before it is prescriptive okay and so as we read through I just want to we'll get through it again it's hard for me to separate each and every one of these scriptures because they're all so intertwined but blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want you to understand. I want you to follow me in this now. Now that we understand something about the kingdom of heaven, there are two ages. There's a current age and there's an age to come. So, when he says he talks about these people being blessed, he's talking about the description is this current age. And the prescription is the age to come. And he describes. I'm, I'm telling you, this is such an encouraging message for everyday people. I hope that you see it encouraging and on time for you. But he says well, first, you have to understand this, okay? What we have is, these aren't gifts of the Spirit. There aren't some that are poor in spirit and some that are meek. And some that hunger for righteousness. No, that's not what this is. This is the character of those whose hearts are turned over to God in this current age. And this is what we experience. And I say we because I want to be counted in that number. And he says, "In these experiences, you're blessed." Don't forget, in the outline that I gave you of the Sermon on the Mount, the first portion is his assessment. We get to hear what the King thinks. You now, some of you Hamilton fans, right in the room where it happened, he lets you in the room. And he tells you plainly, you, you, you work on your jobs and sometimes you're not so secure about what your bosses are planning. Amen. And some people can relate. And so they come out and they roll something out. You're always thinking, I wonder what happened when they were talking privately about what was really going on. They're not letting us know the full story. He's giving us the full story. His assessment and his assessment of these everyday people, you're blessed. Now when we talked about blessed, remember, blessed means to be well off at the highest level. And being blessed, again, this is in context, he's not not talking about blessed as we use it, he uses it as, as only he can. And he makes an assessment of us by saying we're blessed. And remember, blessed is about what you have going for you. What you have, what you have going for you. And it does not have to be material. So here we are, these everyday people. We're not famous. We're not rich. We don't have it going on like we count some people having going on. But he says we're well off at the highest level. I'm sorry, but but you don't get this. Among this people that are following him are the sick. Are the injured. Are the hurt. Are the wounded. The mistreated by the world. But he says, I don't care what you're going through on this side. You're blessed. So he's defining for us blessed. See, because the world will look at this crowd and say, then I blessed. The king says, no, no, that's your assessment. Here's my assessment. These who follow me, no matter the condition, these are blessed. And since he's talking about the kingdom, we have to look at blessed in context of a kingdom. And so we said a person is at the pinnacle of well-off in a kingdom when that individual has the favor of the king. Hallelujah to your name. (laughs) When you have the favor of the king, you are blessed. Please don't miss this. He says, the condition right now may not be favorable, but my assessment of you is that you're blessed, which means you have my favor. Remember when a person turns their heart over to God? The result is always God's grace always. So to be blessed is to stand in favor with or have the favor of the king. I really hope that you understand this. Has God ever spoken to you? And I'll say this about the voice of God. The voice of God is not loud. Loud. The voice of God isn't... I know people want that experience where, where heavens open up and a thunderous voice roars and they, I know that's God. No, that's not how God necessarily speaks to us like that. I, I, I like how Elijah found out there's a still, small voice that comes. But when you've heard from God, you know you heard from God. And there's times when God just speaks when you need to be spoken to. There are times when you are finding it hard to carry on, but you hear God say, but I'm with you. And that makes all the difference in the world. You find strength where you thought there was none. When you hear the voice of God. So here we have these people who've been following, who've been living, haven't had things going their way, but they hear the voice of the King. They are straight from Him. You got my favor. Hey, Amen. I, see, I see that, and then I see that leper running up to Jesus right after he gets down. So now I know you can. But if I find favor in your sight, will you? <laughs> and don't forget, our being blessed is contingent on remaining in him. Because he's the favored one. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye Him. I'm pleased in Him. I'm not pleasing you outside of Him. I'm pleasing Him, so stay in Him. So, again, as we talk about the Beatitudes, specifically verse 3 the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to remind you, everybody that's called poor in spirit is not necessarily poor in spirit. This is the king talking. Remember, he's teaching the kingdom. He's speaking to those who follow him. And he's speaking as a king. So the poor in spirit is in reference to the condition experienced by pursuers of God while they wait for the coming kingdom. Because I don't want you to forget this. I didn't make mention of this, but it should have been probably part of my review, is that because I've given my heart over to God, if I'm a member of the kingdom of heaven in this current age, we call ourselves citizens because of this current age. We haven't arrived yet, but because our hearts are given over to God and we believe there's a future age to come, we live our lives now to make it. Do you hear me? We live our lives now it determines the direction of our life. Because we're looking for that which is to come. So as we wait for the coming kingdom, I don't know another way to say it, but biblically, we, we, we wait. We wait on the Lord. And as we wait on the Lord, there's pressure put upon us. As we wait on the Lord, Everybody around us is not rolling out the red carpet to make sure that we're smooth on the ride. In fact, it seems like most people are trying to make it more difficult for us. So poor spirit is in reference to the condition experienced by pursuers of God while they wait for the kingdom of God. Now look at this in Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. Verse 1 and 2. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my hand. Word, I like that. God says, I've got everything. What do I need from you? But bring me the poor, contrite spirit, those that tremble at my word, then you're bringing me something. God delights in that. So we see the the poor in spirit, they get God's attention. His eyes are on them. You're in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. We looked at this before. But as it pertains to the poor in spirit, Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse number 1, and we'll read through verse 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me. For I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So, when it comes to the poor in spirit, I I told you there are two ways that an individual can be considered poor in spirit. Number one is, when the person who longs to please God sees their condition and knows that they fall short, of the glory of God. Isaiah cries out when he sees and recognizes the holiness of him who he stands before. Woe is me. I am undone. Don't you hear Adam and Eve there? After they ate what they should not have eaten and then they looked at one another and said, whoa, wait a minute. You're not wearing anything. I'm undone. I'm naked. Shame is over me. So, again, number one is when the person who longs to please God sees their condition and knows that they fall short of the glory of God. And I want to emphasize this. Sometimes we run over this, but I don't want to. Every believer, every believer, you know, every is one of those absolute words, meaning no one excluded. Every believer. I will say it again, every believer, that means you, every believer. If you call yourself a believer, every believer must go this way. Let me say it again, every believer. What is this way? You have to come this way. What is this way? When you see yourself in a spiritual deficit, that's what poor is. Poor is poor. As you're in a deficit. You're behind. Every believer must come this way. They must see themselves in a spiritual deficit when they are faced with the holy standard of God. You have to see yourself that way. Why? Because there's no salvation without repentance. And if you don't see yourself at one point in time in a deficit spiritually if you don't see yourself at one point in time falling short of the glory of God, then you won't need to repent. I, you know, I, this is the reason why I want to emphasize this. This is a day of darkness. And the days grow darker and darker around us. And in these dark days, people are associating with Christ who Christ is not associating with. And you've got people who are full of themselves who've never repented. Repented. I heard this one preacher make this statement and I was astounded because it was so true. It says, America has never repented. And they want to move forward. <laughs> but God is with us. No, no, no. Every believer has got to get to a point where they say, I am a sinner. Sin is upon me. Every believer. I love Daniel's prayer. Daniel made a prayer recognizing that his people had done wrong. He, he said, Confusion of faces belong to us. We're wrong, God. You're right, and we're wrong. Every believer has to come this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, or se- chapter 7. I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. No, 13th chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. There has to be a sorrow that pierces your heart. There has to be. Second Corinthians chapter 7. If you have not repented, you're not born again. You have to come face to face with the truth of your sin. Second Corinthians chapter 7. Verse number eight. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, the word but for a season. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrow to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow. worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh work to death. Since you've got to be sorry at your sin to enter in to salvation. There has to be a godly sorrow that pierces your heart and lets you see how humble you need to be. See, that's broken. You've got to be to the point where you're broken for your sins. If sin doesn't bother you, Check your salvation. If you're alright with lying, check your salvation. If you're alright with sleeping with somebody you're not married to, check your salvation. If you're alright taking God's body and putting things in God's body, see, because your spirit and body belong to Him, that God's not okay with, check your salvation. Again, I understand I'm spending more time than I think I want to, but this has to be said because sometimes we want to move forward into deeper things of God when we haven't come through the way of repentance. And I want you to understand it is not pleasurable at the time because of how injurious sin is. I hope you're tuning in on Family Life so you can understand about the devastation of sin. Sin has impacted life on every level. <laughs> the whole of human existence has been impacted by sin. And when you get to see what sin does, it ought to hurt. You shouldn't be happy about it. So it's not going to be pleasurable at the time because of how injurious sin is to you. But if you do not come face to face with your deficit, then you don't need a Savior. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I want you to understand about the Pharisees and why God dealt so roughly, can I say that, with the Pharisees? It's because the Pharisees had the oracles of God. They understood the standard of God. But many of them would not repent. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And I like this because this scripture seems like it stands alone. But no, you've got to put it with the, the next few scriptures. Because Matthew identifies himself as someone who was in a deficit. So as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus said, at meat in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Uh, do you see that? Uh, Matthew says, I'm one of them. <laughs> publicans and sinners. See, they were counted in the number together. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? That's beneath us. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. See, I want the Dr. Jesus to work on me. I want him to make a difference in my life. And so there's no shame in admitting before him who can do something about your sin, that sin had me bound. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Glory to God. Hallelujah to His name. He didn't come for the clean. He came for the unclean to clean them up. Amen. See, in this attitude, we have to always stay with. Now now look at us in Nehemiah. I told you we'd go there, keep your ribbon there, but turn there now. Nehemiah chapter 9. Matthew says, I was one of those people who needed a physician. I was among the publicans and the sinners. And here I am writing the gospel to you. See, that's our God. God turns things around. He can turn your deficits into the joy of salvation. If you let him. Nehemiah chapter. I'm sorry, chapter 8, not chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 8. Starting at verse number 8. Now, we're dropping in the middle of this section of Scripture, but what's going on here is that the, uh, the people are hearing, almost as it were, the law of Moses for the first time. And we understand about the law of Moses, it gives us the holy standard of God. Verse 8. Says, so they read in the book in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Chershathan, Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. What's going on here? They're pierced in their heart. They see God's holy standard. And they see how they've been living. And it brings sorrow to their hearts. Verse 10. Then he said unto them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink the sweet. And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. He says, It's party time. (laughs) For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. They went from godly sorrow to great rejoicing. That is the story of each one of our salvation. But we had to go through the sorrow first. So we can experience the joy that comes with salvation. So again, I say every believer has to come this way. And it may not feel good at the first. Weeping might take over for a little bit. But trust me, there's joy on the other end. There is joy on the other end. And never forget this. Now, this person who cries out, says, woe is me. We looked at it before where... We're, uh, 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 Peter cried out and said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? That person is ready for a Savior. And there's a Savior ready to receive that person and to save that person from their sins. His name is Jesus. He is the Son of David. He is the Son of Abraham. (laughs) He is the seed of the woman. Now, after you're saved... You should never leave that attitude. Why? Because if you leave that attitude, then you'll forget where you came from. Then the same, the people who sit in the same seat you sat in before, you'll pass by. you will be like the Pharisees who say, why are you eating with publicans and sinners? Not recognizing they didn't come out clean out their mama's womb. You can never be of the attitude that, I would never do that. No, you were in the same flesh. So that's one way. But we also see Isaiah say, not only woe is me, for I am undone. He says, I dwell among a people of unclean lips. So one way to be poor in spirit is when that person who wants to please God sees and knows and understands against God's holy standard, they fall short. But on the other hand, when a person who longs to please God sees the condition of the world around them, the system around them, does that not pierce your heart? We said poor in the spirit is the discouragement that can be experienced navigating a system that is not ruled by righteousness. See, there you are, you're you're being faithful, you're laboring to remain in faithfulness, and the system of this world is not cooperating with you. In so many ways. In so many ways. I want to let you know, if you are a member of a family where brother and sister, mama and daddy are all in the faith, rejoice. But all cases aren't like that. Sometimes there's a family member who's trusted God alone. Who's believed in Christ alone. And have believed in Christ against what their family has held on to for generations. And they're even persecuted by their own family members. See, that's not cooperating. That's not cooperating at all. And there are those that you long to minister to, but they're not. They're listening to other voices. So you see the condition of the world around you. You feel as though you're David. They're at the outskirts of the battle. Seeing people not go in. You say, don't they see the cause? Because you're living in a world where God is not the ruler of the system. Where righteousness does not reign but your heart is toward God. So what we have is a condition of the heart of those who are looking for the will of God and not the rewards of this world. <laughs> Hallelujah. See, we, we live on the other side of the tracks. Can I say it that way? See, we're the ones who are funny to this world. We're the ones who are weird to this world. We're the ones that the world mocks, makes fun of, wants to see us, not stay to our standard. But we're not looking for their rewards. We're not looking for their rewards at all. We're looking to please God. Now you kind of understand why he says you're blessed. Because don't forget... The world system is hostile, it is rebellious, and it is opposed to God. Look at this in Second Thessalonians chapter one. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Well, you know what? Yeah, Second Thessalonians chapter one, but, but keep your rubbing there. Look at Matthew chapter eleven. We have to look at this because this is where we saw John himself had gotten discouraged. Matthew chapter eleven. Why? Because the believer is challenged on this road while we wait for the coming kingdom. Every day is not going to be a bowl of cherries. Every day is not going to be filled with sunshine and with blue skies. Not as we walk in this world's system. Holding on to that which is contrary to the system. And so we understand... John the Baptist is in prison because he stood up for righteousness in a sinful world. That's the kingdom of heaven. Uh, did you get that? It's when man has turned his heart over to the true of the living God in the midst of a sinful world. Not afraid to stand for righteousness when it's not convenient. But in Matthew chapter 11... Verse number one, it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples. He departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison, in the prison, when John had heard in the prison. Now I imagine if John had been on his couch, maybe he would have had a different mindset. But we're not called to sit on couches and eat bonbons all day. We're called to stand for Christ. And sometimes that will leave us in places that aren't so comfortable. Places we wish we could avoid. In the flesh, that is. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed them to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? I don't want you to think that John has stopped being a believer. He's just being challenged He's discouraged at this time. And again, they're, they're missing the point. The king is coming to lay down his life. He's not coming to break the chains of your oppression in the natural. He's coming to free you spiritually first. So Jesus asked, and, and, and trust me, and make sure you understand this. As much as the Bible as you know, as many scriptures as you have memorized, you don't know all the details of God's plan. I love how people nowadays think that God's telling me everything. No, he's not. You are on a need-to-know basis. And some things you don't need to know. Evidently, part of John's not knowing was that he was going to one day end up in prison. And so he's checking. He's like, now, wait a minute. Am I in prison for nothing? And I love Jesus' answer. Verse 3, And said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. Here's the evidence. The blind receive their sight. And the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Oh, you don't hear this, do you? Jesus said, Let me encourage John. And I'm I'm not going to encourage John. By telling him something that's not true, I'm going to show him how my work is going on. And here's the thing about the work that's going on. John had a hand in it. See, I'm pausing there because I think some people don't understand that. They don't understand that John had done the work of righteousness, ended up in prison, but he paved the way for people to be prepared to receive their king. To receive their Savior. His work and his labor was not in vain. People are being made free. The blind have their sights when they didn't have it before. The lame are walking. The dead are raised to life. Your labor was not in vain. You need to know it might seem as though you're an island all along and God has not paid attention. God is counting. Let me tell you, this this is amazing to me. He is counting how your deeds have made a difference in ways you can't even see. As much as we don't like to think about that great and dreadful day of the Lord, I want you to understand, the Bible makes it plain. He does not only come with wrath, but He comes with rewards. See, he's the lion and the lamb. And so you sit up here and you think that you're not making a difference and and that you're suffering and no one sees. God is seeing. That's why God has an assessment of you that the world does not have. And then what does he do for John? Then he gives John's eulogy, saying, John, you're great. But let me tell you, as great as you are, those no-names out there whose names aren't written in the Holy Scriptures, Or as great as John. That's a blessing. That's encouraging. That's a strengthener. Especially when you've been discouraged. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1. Starting in verse number 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Do you hear that? He says, now we're proud of you, we're bragging on you because of your faith and patience Through the persecutions, through the tribulations, you endure. Endure, my brother. Endure, my sister. See, somebody's proud of you. Somebody says, now, glory is in that attitude. And you enduring and you're staying. Because sometimes you might just be at the precipice of wanting to give up. Don't give up. Because blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. He says, "Now, now, "Now, hey, don't be depressed. You're blessed." Because that is a manifest token. Even though you're hit with persecution, even though you're hit with tribulation, you endure. Oh, you're worthy of the kingdom. Amen. That's His assessment. And some people want His assessment to come, again, they want it to come in spectacular ways. No, it comes in His Word. In settings just like this, where he speaks to and, and, and understand. Now, now this is where, this is a divider. I'm, I'm telling you this right now. This is a divider. This is where this is where those who are Christians are divided from those who are believers. See, because the Christian will hear this and say that you know I, I I didn't feel it, but the believer their knees straighten up, their head starts to lift up, and they find strength. Because He lives. I can face tomorrow. Because He lives and He gives me His assessment, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to keep on keeping on. So what is His message? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. His message is this. Your endurance has a sure reward. Do not Look at this in Second Corinthians chapter four. Second Corinthians chapter four. Wow, amen. This is. Let's start at verse number six. Second Corinthians chapter 4 starting at verse number 6 says for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Do you understand that? We have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know what earthen vessels are? They're fragile. If this fragile vessel, if you and your fragility can stand when the winds blow hard against you, if you and your fragility can stand when you're persecuted, if you and your fragility can stand even when your family members won't go as you go along with Jesus, in the end, guess who gets all the glory? Because they'll say, it can't be this earthen vessel. It's got to be God. But we have this treasure in fragile vessels. That the excellency of the power, it won't be of us, it's going to be of God. And this is what he starts to say. So understand this. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. In other words, oh, we'll take it for Christ. <laughs> See, because me and my fragility continue to stand. See, now I am working together with Him. Now He's getting glory through my standing. See, and you may not understand it. I'm telling you, you may not understand it. You, I know what we want. We want to, we want to open up the gift right now. You know, your birthday is a week out, and somebody brings a nice gift to you. And you, can I open it now? No, you got to wait. See, what we want is we want to see our labor make immediate difference in the lives of people right now. But what you don't understand is that you standing when it's not easy to stand, while you're preaching, while you're sharing, while you're ministering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it may not have immediate results. But it's going to stick with them. It's going to stay in their mind. See, they're going to forget about all those jokers, all the entertainment, all the movies they saw, when times get hard. And you will have left an indelible impression among them. And you, by your standing, will help them see Christ. You by your standing will help them see Christ. But you want to open the gift right now. No, you need to see Christ in me right now. Let God work. Let God operate. You just do your part. You just never know the difference that you're making. You may not find out until years later. You may not find out until you're in glory. But stay the course. Look at Psalm 73. I know we read this last time. We're not going to read all this. Again, Psalm 73. See, you're worthy of the kingdom. Psalm 73. Remember, we looked at this in Psalm 73, and and here we... We find this person who's supposed to be a church person, supposed to be a believer, confessing that, man, I'm looking at the world and the world seems to be getting by with stuff and here I am, I'm holding the line and I'm suffering for Christ. Man, it's not, not right. Verse 14, for all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. See, see this discouragement there. But I like verse 17. Yeah, I was discouraged until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I therein. Can can I relate this to what we're talking about? Then I saw the coming age. Then I got my eye off of today and got my eye on tomorrow, on what is to come. What I'm believing to come if I stay the course. Jump down to verse 23. Uh -uh. Verse 22. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. See, when I keep the coming age before my eyes, I will find strength to get over whatever the world throws at me. Don't you know the enemy does that? Did he not do that with the Lord? Did he not take him on a great mountain sitting out? Now, now you're living without all this, but I can give you all this if you compromise. Hm, amen. Glory to your name. Hallelujah. Don't you love that our Lord set the example? He says, I didn't give in. Stay in me, you don't have to give in. Hallelujah. Remember. Well, Genesis 15. I always have to, I I need for you to see the scripture. I, I could just quote it sometimes, but what's the use? You need to see it. You need to know where it is. Let your fingers do some walking. So remember this. Okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are gonna suffer through discouragement in this sinful world. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed means you have the favor of the king. And when you have the favor of the king, you can go in, you can ask. And he'll hear. You can go into the king and so say, You got some time for me, and the king will have some time for you. You'll have need, and you'll have a king. Who you have favor in their sight of that you can go to and have that need met. Genesis 15 and 1. This is one of the... This scripture... I love it. Okay, I really do. After these things... See, because Abram had his own discouragement. Abram was like, you know what? I'd like a son right now. (laughs) Look at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. He says, I am. He says, your reward is not in this earth. Don't look for your rewards here. I'm your reward. (laughs) Hallelujah. And for some people, God's not good enough. Not the believer. The believer delights in that his reward is not on this earth. But they have a shield. They have a reward. In the truth. And in the living God. You see I read scriptures like this. And I remember. But we have a better covenant. Established upon better promises. Which means surely if you would be a shield. And a great reward for Abram. Definitely in this time. Being found in Christ. I've got a sure shield. And I have a sure reward. One last scripture, First Peter, Chapter One. First Peter, Chapter One. Now I do like how Jesus wraps up the Beatitudes. And again, it's applicable to each and every one of those Beatitudes. But he says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. He says, again, remember blessed. Blessed is about what you have and what you have going for you. It may not be material, but he says there's something you ought to be happy about. There's something you ought to be glad about. something you ought to rejoice in. You ought to rejoice in that the kingdom of heaven is yours prepared for you. We have reason to rejoice. The favor of the king is with us. And in your discouragement, when you're discouraged for righteousness, that's what the blessed go through. And listen, the favor of the king stops the mouths of lions. The favor of the king gets you victory over those greater and mightier than you. The favor of the king knocks walls down with a shout. The favor of the king hears you when you pray. Amen. what I like about this, again, I just can't leave this, is he doesn't go to those who are revered in this world. He goes to the everyday people. Those are the ones he delights in. I think about Mary and Joseph. Think about Mary and Joseph. Who are they? I don't think Mary had it in her mind. Of course you're going to come to me. Who else would you pick? No, I'm sure she's thinking like, me? Yeah, you. See, you might think that you're somewhere where God's not taking thought about you. You might be somewhere where you're thinking that what you're doing doesn't matter. God says, no, no, I see it all. And yes, it matters. And I have an assessment of you and you need to receive it. You are blessed. Not as the world counts blessed, but as the king counts blessed. First Peter chapter 1. Keep the faith, people. I guess I should get the first Peter. First Peter chapter one, starting at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look at this to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away. Reserved in heaven for you. Amen. It's reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved in heaven for you. You've got an inheritance coming. And and, and here it is. It is incorruptible, undefiled, and it will not fade away. Moth and rust. Don't work on it. Thieves can't break through nor steal, but it's not here. It's being stored up for you. I, I don't know. I don't know if you get this or not, but, but some of you aren't living in the towns where you were born in. Some of you are separated, maybe from your parents, and, and, and you might make plans to go see your parents, right? And your parent might say, "You know, baby, there's this thing I want to give you." And I'll wait till you get here to give it to you. In other words, you're coming. (laughs) No, you didn't get that, did you? No, no, she's counting on you coming. She's counting on you making it. And she's not not saying, you know, well, one day maybe you'll be able to. No, no, when you get here, I'll give it to you. That's what Jesus is saying. Is, Blessed be the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. You're going to make it. See, that character gets it all the way. You will endure until the end. And, and you know what happens at the end? I'm telling you, there, there's, something about, there's something about robes, right? When, when, a, when a person graduates, they want to wear the robe. But when we make it, he's going to say, Here, I had this robe outfitted for you. And then he's going to say, and there's a reward that's been stored up with your name on it. What kind of God is our God? To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time wherein ye greatly rejoice. See, Jesus said rejoice and be glad. Be exceeding glad. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I want you to. I want to make sure you understand this. I'm not saying every day is full of discouragement. That's not the point. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that every time you turn around, there's going to be sad days in this world, and the world's going to try to beat you up every day and every second. He's saying this. These are the things we will experience along the way. And there will be times. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you haven't been there yet. But there will be times for those who are enduring until the end. where they will come across these patches where they will be discouraged. But his messages don't be. You're blessed. You've got something to look forward to. You have something working in your favor. You got favor with the king. And I'm out of time.